The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m., and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. In today's sermon, Elder Buddy Abernathy continues his look at the book of Revelation by examining the letter to the church at Laodicea. The Laodicean church, you may recall, was lukewarm. God said that he hates lukewarmness. Brother Buddy deals with what it means to be lukewarm as a church and examines ways that we can avoid this problem in our own churches. I hope you'll join us today and for the conclusion tomorrow of this first message on the church at Laodicea. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
I want to read to you today from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now these are the words of Jesus, not only talking to his children, but talking to his children who are members of a local church. And he says, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, that's about the harshest rebuke we could receive from the Lord. It's interesting to me how the modern translations sometimes seems to want to change the words just for the sake of changing words. All the modern translations, at least the ones I've looked at, replace spew with the word vomit. Well, not to be too gross, but uh, you vomit after you swallow something, and it may be a few minutes later, but to spew means that as soon as you taste it, you spit it out. See, Jesus doesn't ingest our sin and think about it for a while. He tastes it immediately and wants nothing to do with it. And all of us probably have one time or another drank something that caused us to spew it out of our mouth. That's the idea here. Jesus can't stand the spiritual taste of this church. Now before we get to the main essence of it, let's notice first of all how Jesus describes himself. He describes himself in three ways. He says, I'm the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now when he says, I'm the amen, I believe this is the only place that the word amen has the article the in front of it. And notice the word amen is capitalized. Now oftentimes we'll see it capitalized in other places, but it's usually because, or I won't say usually, I haven't searched it out thoroughly, but oftentimes it's because uh, it's the only word in the sentence. Like for example, Ephesians chapter 3, you read in the first three chapters about the doctrine of salvation and then Paul switches in the last three chapters of Ephesians to how we ought to live our lives and he ends chapter 3 with the word, Amen. In other words, he gives his personal consent what the Lord has inspired him to write about salvation and then based on that foundation he teaches us how we ought to live our lives. But here it says that Jesus is the Amen. That means he's the one who validates that what God said is true. And that's significant because 
In light of this harsh rebuke, we have to remember, here's one that has full authority to do this. He is the one that validates that what God said is true. Now, it's appropriate for us to say amen when we're sincere during a sermon, as long as we're not doing it in such a way that would distract from others listening. But it's an encouragement to the preacher when someone sincerely says amen. But when we say amen, we're saying and we're consenting that what's being preached is something I believe we're saying that's the truth. But you know, we can't say that authoritatively like Jesus does. It's the truth whether we agree with it or not. But Jesus is one with the Father, and when He validates the Word of God, it's to be taken as great support to God and His Word because, again, they are one. It says He's the faithful and true witness. Faithful means He's reliable. He's trustworthy. And I don't believe we need to explain, explain truth. What he says is reliable, it's trustworthy, and it's the truth. And then it says he's the beginning of the creation of God. Now there are a number of false religions in the religious world that might refer to phrases like this to say that Jesus was the first being that God created. That's not what it means. Uh, John said in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Genesis chapter 1, we see where it says, Let us, notice it's plural, let us make man in our image. And that's referring to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. What this is teaching, which you'll understand if you study that word beginning, it means he's the origin or the active cause. He's the beginning. He's the active cause of creation. He's the beginning of the creation of God. So all three of those phrases are emphasizing that the one who's speaking and the one who is saying, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, is God, and His Word is to be taken very seriously. He says, I know your works. That just simply means, I know your actions. I know your deeds. I know what you're doing. I know what you're thinking. The Bible says he knoweth our thoughts afar off. The Bible says he searcheth the hearts and trieth the reins. He knows your motives. He knows whether they're pure or not or whether you're doing what you're doing to be seen of men. He says, I, I know everything about you individually and here collectively as a church. And here's his assessment of the situation. Thou art neither cold nor hot. 
I would thou art cold or hot, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. He says three times, thou art neither cold nor hot, or some, uh, maybe use some other word to preface that three-word expression, cold or hot. He says that three times here. So we need to understand what that means. Cold means to be uh, destitute of Christian faith and zeal. Now, we're accustomed to using it that way. If we say, well, they're, they're just cold spiritually. I don't know what's wrong. They don't have the zeal or the interest that they had previously. And notice in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, that you're probably all familiar with when it talks about loving the world this is a description of coldness in the life of the child of God and it describes their loving the world as the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life if you as a child of God allow that to dominate your thinking and the way you live your life you have become spiritually cold if you love the world, which consists of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But to me, there's even a clearer expression because it can be thought of literally, literally, before you make a spiritual application. And it uses this same word in Matthew chapter 24. Verse 11 and 12, Jesus says, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now to wax cold uh, literally means to uh, decrease or decline. One way to think of it, to visualize it in your mind, is to think of a hot cup of coffee. And this word wax cold can be used in an active or a passive way. In other words, if you have a hot cup of coffee that is too hot to drink, you may pull it up to your mouth and blow on it just to slightly cool it off. Or you can think about it in a passive sense. You set it down and slowly it cools off. Now, that's the idea here is God's people uh, can slowly grow cold spiritually and the cause of it that Jesus identifies is the cause of it today. He says, because iniquity shall abound. That means wickedness or sin. Because it abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, think about that in your own life. The more you're associated with, and I realize it's sometimes out of your control. If you work with people that are ungodly, you can't help that. Paul told us that we're not to plan to socialize, socialize with people that are ungodly, 
But he, but he said, and I'll put this in my words, uh, if you try not to ever be around them, if you try not to ever work with them, he said, you must needs go out of the world. You can't totally avoid their presence. But the more ungodly the culture is, the more effort it takes on your part to avoid being conformed to them. And that begins with a cooling off in your spiritual life. You know, for example, uh, you may go out to lunch with other employees and none of them are thinking about offering prayer before uh, eating. And you say, well, I don't want to be a distraction. Uh, I don't want to, them to think I'm trying to be Mr. or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes, you know, and I'm not saying you should force yourself on them. You've got to pray for wisdom in situations like that. But all of us know from experience that if you're around other people that don't have spiritual zeal, it's hard for you to maintain that zeal. I would much rather be with you all than people that love the things of the world because you help keep me warm. The illustration is sometimes used if you have a, a fire that has a, a hot bed of coals, you know, red hot coals uh, from the wood that has been burned and they, they all burn while they're together, they stay warm and hot but if you remove one of those coals onto the hearth it will slowly but obviously cool off so we are affected by our environment and we need all the more in our day to strive to maintain a spiritual zeal now so Jesus says, I would prefer you to be hot or cold than lukewarm. Now, I know you're saying in your mind, why would it be better to be cold than lukewarm? If cold represents uh, a deficiency or an absence of spiritual zeal, would not lukewarm be a little better than that? Well, we'll explain that in a minute, but first of all, what does he mean by, I would that thou wert cold or hot? You know, the word hot almost always means, when applied spiritually, it refers to zeal in a positive or a negative way. Now, sometimes the word hot is spoken of with regard to the wrath of God. He is a consuming fire, the Hebrew writer says. And he also says in Hebrews 10 that, that uh it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But here, when he uses the word hot, he's speaking of zeal or fervor of mind in a positive way. And one good illustration of this is in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. Here's a good old primitive Baptist text. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. How are you saved? By grace. He's going to talk about a lot of works. But he begins by saying, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, 
looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's what it means to be hot, zealous of good works. One of the longest descriptions of the new birth in the Bible is in Ephesians 2. And after spending nine verses talking about it, uh, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in, Christ, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk therein. That's what Jesus means here when He speaks of being hot. But he says, I would rather you be cold or hot than lukewarm. Now, it's a no-brainer to understand that he would rather us be hot than lukewarm. But why does he say, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm? Well, first, we've got to understand what he means by the word lukewarm. Now, we know this applies in a literal sense. You think of water, think of ice-cold water, you think of a hot shower, and you think of lukewarm tap water. But obviously, a spiritual application is intended. Here are some words that define lukewarm in a spiritual sense. See if you've ever struggled with this. Not interested or concerned, indifferent, apathetic, bored, unmoved. And I like this one the best because it, I mean, maybe I should say I like it the least because it describes me. Listen, fluctuating between dullness and a fervor of love. That's me on a daily basis. How about you fluctuating <laughs> between dullness, that is, you've just waned spiritually, fluctuating between dullness and a fervor of love. God doesn't like it when we're that way. You say, well, Brother Buddy, why would God prefer us to be cold than lukewarm? At least there's some measurable hint of spiritual vitality there if you're lukewarm. But see, a person who is cold is a person that basically makes no profession of being a Christian. They don't really identify themselves as a Christian, so they're just behaving the way you would expect a person in the world would. And in that sense, they're not bringing reproach on the kingdom of God. They're just living like the world. They don't profess to be a part of God's kingdom. What he's talking about here when he speaks of lukewarm is you are professing and you are identifying yourself as a Christian and you're not living like one. Now just think about that in the context in which he is writing toward a church. Think about if any one of us as a member of Zion Church, though we're a baptized believer, maybe we even attend the meetings, regular or with some degree of consistently, 
And then all week long, we live just like the world. That's what God hates. You know why? Because He loves His church. And in one sense, we understand that uh, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the church refers to the flock of God which he hath purchased one of his own blood. It involves the whole elect family of God. And the Lord loves his church, his people, and it's a, it's, he spews it out of his mouth when his church tastes like the world. Now, usually the word church is refer referring to a local body, such as we have here, but whether you refer to it as a local body or all of God's children, it's speaking of a flock that he has purchased with his own blood, and the sole purpose of the church that sets it apart from the world, it, it is the one pure light of truth in this world, and it is a display, it ought to be a display of what it will be like one day in heaven. Though we're so tainted with sin, the Lord is still pleased when we try to rehearse for heaven and live our lives in a way that glorifies God. There are multiple scriptures in the Bible that condemn lukewarmness. And surprisingly, the ones that I'm going to refer to that seem to really drive the point home are mostly in the Old Testament. I tell you, Israel often brought reproach on the Lord, didn't they? Now, you must understand that there were Israelites that were not born of the Spirit because just being the seed of Abraham doesn't make you a child of God. But the Lord elected and chose the Israelites to be the recipients of His revelation and that ought to train us when we get to the New Testament that God has an elect people out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe under heaven, and He has given special revelation to them, first of all, by being born of the Spirit, and secondly, to those that have been born again that then pursue the Lord to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So for the balance of our time, Let's consider how God's people have been lukewarm. And ultimately, I want us to see what is the cause of it as identified in Scripture, which is, I believe, one, if not the main cause of it today. And then what those of you that have not been influenced to the point that you've become lukewarm... How is it that we can prevent this? And I don't accuse anyone here as being lukewarm, but as I've said many times, I believe in preventive maintenance. I'd far rather do preventive maintenance than try to fix something after it breaks down. If a church breaks down, it's much harder to repair it than it is to do preventive maintenance. So. Don't think that I'm accusing you of being lukewarm. 
But I don't believe you're any different than I am, and I know I struggle with this to one degree or another. But first of all, look at this clear description of what it means to be lukewarm. Amos chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations, to whom the house of Israel came. Verse 4, listen to this. Is the Bible not up to date? That lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. They chant to the sound of the viol and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. They lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches. It's so easy in modern America to become lukewarm. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.